Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. I feel like what happens between the shows ought to be preserved. Paul Perot has informed me during the break. No, no, that, no, no. No? <laughs> Don't. That's not what happened? Let's not get people. It's, it's he just says hearsay. people are making too many tinfoil hats. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite put it that way, but. <laughs> no, you didn't. But that was my, inter- I've used my interpretive key to your mysterious ways. All right. This is our two of Mornings with Carmen on Wednesday, the 20th of October. Uh, on the list of things that are apparently going to be in short supply, little packages of Heinz ketchup because they come in little foil containers. Uh, also going to be in short supply, Marie Callender chicken pot pies because both chicken is apparently going to be hard to come by, which is just ridiculous. I mean, like, we can grow chicken so fast. Anyway, um, but because Marie Callender's pot pies come in what? Little aluminum foil little pans. So aluminum foil. There you go. And I said to Paul, it's because everybody is out there making tinfoil hats. So there you go. That was the joke you missed that you have now not missed because I have included you. All right. Earlier this year, we um, we sought to bring two Biden appointees into the frame of our conversation. And those two um, Biden appointees uh, are Javier Becerra who now heads the health and human services efforts of the United States of America, and Rachel Levine, a person who is a biological male who presents as a female and is now the undersecretary, assistant health secretary for HHS. Um, So if you were to Google Basera, you're going to see references to legal cases that he brought against pro-life pregnancy centers um, in California, where he uh, where he served as an attorney and eventually as attorney general. You're also going to see his crusade to have American taxpayers fund abortion uh, in real time here and now. You're going to read his reference to those of us uh, or to those who have not been vaccinated as flat earthers. He is a cabinet secretary and uh, his view could frankly not be further from my own on a range of topics. Well, this morning he is in the headlines for a celebratory statement that he made yesterday about the highest ranking doctor at HHS, and that is Assistant Health Secretary Rachel Levine, um, who I've already reminded you made history uh, by becoming the first openly transgender um, appointment. Well, Rachel Levine is back in the news uh, for making history again for becoming the first openly transgender four-star officer in America four-star officer, and you're saying to yourself, what branch of America's uniformed services made the assistant health secretary, Rachel Levine, a four-star officer? And that's a really good question. First of all, let me just say, I didn't know there were eight uniformed services and that the U.S. Public Health Service is one of them. Did you know that? Well, as I thought about it a little more, it does explain 
why the Surgeon General is called General. Yep. The U.S. Public Health Service is one of the eight uh, uniformed services of the United States. We often think about military, the military branches, as the uniformed services, but those are the, those are the uniformed military services. There are um, 45 active duty four-star officers. Most of them are, maybe unsurprisingly, in the Army, uh, then followed by the Air Force, followed then by the Marine, uh, the Navy, and then the Marine Corps. There are two uh, four-star officers in Space Force and two in the Coast Guard, and now one in the Public Health Service Commissioned Corps. So of the eight uniformed services, NOAA, which is the, you know, oceanic and atmospheric, mm-hmm, thank you, association, um, there, that is a commissioned officer corps as well, and they're now the only one that doesn't have a four-star officer. So there you go, four-star position. Um, so uh, Xavier Becerra, who heads up HHS, said in a statement yesterday, and this gets to our conversation next with Bill English, Admiral Levine's historic appointment as the first openly transgender four-star officer is a giant step forward toward equity as a nation. What is equity and how is it different than equality? Bill English and I will discuss that next. We'll be right back. That kind of rap is just the best to keep your sandwich nice and fresh. Stick it in your Bill English is back from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I am. I am well. I am well today. Um, all right. So the last the last time that we talked, we said, hey, we should take a look at this word equity. This word um, appears more and more frequently. It is used in more and more environments about more and more things. And I confess that I wasn't sure I understood what people mean when they use it. So let's talk about the word equity, where we're hearing it, why we're hearing it, and and how we're hearing it. So I'm just going to set it up that way. Oh, you are? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. last uh, two weeks ago when I was on, I ended by talking about how equity is compensated differently than employees. And I think you picked up on that word equity. And what I meant by equity in that conversation was ownership. Ownership who owns shares in a, in a corporation. But our conversation today is really more um, conceptual uh, between equity and equality. Uh, What is equality and what is equity? Equality typically is defined as uh, treating everyone the same and giving everyone access to the same opportunities. So uh, the phrase that I would use there is uh, uh, opportunity. Oh, where are my notes here? Oh, geez. Yeah. um, you, You cannot achieve... Uh, equity of results, you can only achieve equality of opportunity. So equality of opportunity versus equality of results. Uh, What is meant by equity is that everyone lands in the same place, even though they have different starting positions. 
So in order to achieve equity, policies and procedures have to result in an unequal distribution of resources, whereas equality would say resources or opportunities are equally distributed or equally available. So equity is about the end. Equality is about treating everybody the same. And those are those are two very different concepts. So when I start, I think that's exactly right. That's that's where I have landed as well in terms of my understanding of the conversation and the culture. Um, equality says, hey, everybody should have an equal opportunity, um, you know, but that doesn't guarantee the outcome. Like, right. Some people run faster right. than others. I mean, I, right. I just have to tell you that um, even though we all started at the same time, um, I did not finish that president president's fitness test in the oh, same amount didn't. of time as other people did. No, because and there were unequal outcomes and we were graded on that. Right. So there you go. Um, I don't oh, run right. fast. Like I come from I come from a people who are plotters. We're not runners. We're not gazelles. There's none of that in me. So, um, uh, you know, I plot along. I get it done. But, you know, I, I am not going to win a race. That is not going to happen. And I okay. know that. OK, so but that doesn't mean that in other environments, um, I might not have finished ahead of other students in my same class who finished ahead of me in that. Right. And I never thought to myself, um, oh, it is it is not fair that we're not both finishing this race at the same time and getting the same score. I, ne- I never thought that way. I never thought that way about um, academic achievement. I never thought that way about, um, you know, I got a job and somebody else didn't, or they got a job and I didn't. It's it the outcome of the um, uh, of the process of applying for something. I mean, does equity in the current culture mean everybody who applies for something gets it? Because how is we're going to all live together in the same apartment because we all want to rent the same? I mean, I, you see my challenge here, right? Like equity doesn't make real world sense. I mean, take the, we're not going to be able to have a show called Shark Tank where, you know, people compete in terms of uh, gaining um, investment in their idea. There is no guaranteed outcome in that. But those people who are thinking about making an investment are doing so based on a projected outcome of this investment that's better than another one. That's not equity. I mean, the, yeah, the, you, that, have the, you have the, like, the equality of taking a shot. you got the equality of coming forward and taking your best shot and making your best pitch, but not that everybody is going to end up getting the investment or, or gaining the attention of the consumer and that their product's going to be successful in the market. That doesn't work that way. Equity tries to ensure success and the same success for everyone. That's what. So that's really equality of results, right? So yeah. um, we we believe in equality of opportunity, but we don't believe in equality of results. Look, um, to pick up on your Shark Tank comment, <clears throat> I did a little research. Um, I I go to the spreadsheet regularly at the Census Bureau. They publish how many businesses and the size of businesses and all that there are in the United States. Six million businesses in the United States. Did you know that three point seven million of them have five or less employees? And uh, if you go to 20 or less employees, it's 5.4 out of 6 million businesses have 20 or less employees. Each of those 5.4 million businesses are entrepreneurs trying to carve out a living and a life for themselves and maybe a retirement for themselves. There is going to be inequities and there is going to be different results based on their ability 
to um, run the business based on their competence in their chosen field and based on their character to not screw it all up, right? And so there, if you were to try to achieve equality of results among 5.4 million businesses, you would literally wipe out entrepreneurism in the country. Um, and the effect of that, just by the way, just so you know, um, those with 20 or less employees represent almost $900 billion of payroll every year out of the total $7 trillion of payroll. Now think about, think about that. If, if we wiped out entrepreneurism, uh, what, what would happen with that? And yet that's what our culture is trying to do. They're trying to say because uh, person A started at a different place from person B and they're both trying to arrive at the same place, then we need to have an unequal distribution of resources to person A so that they can get ahead and, and, and compete on a level playing field. Thing is, they'll never be able to create that level playing field. It will never happen. When you take resources from one person and give it to another, how is that fair to the person that you took the resources from? How is that equitable for them? How is that equal for them? It's not. And so no matter how much you try to lift up somebody by taking from somebody else, that trade-off decision where you're saying yes to somebody and no to somebody else is inherently inequitable and it is inherently unequal. All right. Um, we have to take a very brief break. When we come back, Paul Perot is going to explain why people are having an unequal experience right now listening, um, listening in Waterloo. So, Paul, can we encourage people to move over to the live stream at MyFaithRadio.com or listen on the Faith Radio app? And can you explain why when we come back? I can try. I love it. I love it. He's <laughs> going to talk about something about it getting darker and, I don't know, the signal not being as strong when it's dark outside or, I don't know, the Earth's rotation. It's all coming up. It's the science segment. I know you're having an unequal experience. Pop over to the live stream at MyFaithRadio.com or listen on the Faith Radio app, and we'll be right back. All righty, all kinds of conversations happening in the culture about equal access, equal opportunity versus equal outcomes. And apparently some of you listening are not having the equal outcome that everyone else is having in terms of your listening. So, um, Paul, I don't know. Tell people what happens when it gets – I know that this might not be the issue that they're uh, experiencing yeah. in Waterloo. But can you explain why it would be helpful for people to make the transition to the live stream or to the app if they want to listen consistently? Mm, well, I mean, that does work nicely because you can listen online anytime, uh, myfaithradio.com or on the Faith Radio app. The technical problem down, we have a listener in Waterloo saying we're cutting out. I'm going to have to refer that one to our engineer because if you're listening on our FM translator down in Waterloo at 93.1, there should be a no interruption, but it seems there is. We're checking into it. So patience and I'm going <laughs> to let the engineer down there know. That's all I can say. Sorry. We're checking into it. We're checking into it. Checking All right, it. Bill, let's continue our conversation. <clears throat> talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We're talking about conversations in the culture about equality and equity. You're going to hear those words used um, in ways that uh, might be new for you. Equity means guaranteeing everyone the same outcome. Like So equity guarantees an equality of results, that everyone will end up in the same place with the same thing, with the same things. Equality guarantees equality of opportunity. Everybody gets to start in the same place. Um, and I think that the challenge is that 
uh, it would be argued, Bill, that in order for equality, in order for people to start with the same kind of opportunity, you have to go back and bring them forward. You have to balance things out because everyone doesn't start with the same resources because, frankly, their parents didn't end with the same resources. And so they didn't start with the same resources that other people are starting with. Like, that's a part of this conversation, right? It is, but that's a godless way to look at it. <clears throat> look, um, everybody doesn't start with the same resources. And by the way, this is really the the, the soil in which um, white privilege is born, right? Because based on race, you have you have a head start if you're white, and if you're black, you don't have a head start. And and that's that's kind of where that that is that comes from, I think. Um, <clears throat> but when you are um, when you look at this from a godly Christian perspective. Rather than a godless, uh, I'll say, atheistic or agnostic perspective, then what you really end up with is a God who has gifted you and who has called you to do certain things and to steward certain things for him, whatever those things are. And the Bible, I think, is clear that God always funds what he calls and he always enables what he calls. And so instead of comparing yourself to um, others in a worldly sense, based on worldly wealth and worldly ideas of what success is, when we come before the Lord and we say, you know what, we are going to just do what you have called us to do, then this whole equity thing kind of goes away. Because you know that when you are serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he is funding what he calls, he has gifted you and empowered you to do what he is calling you to do, that's really all you can expect in life, and that's really all we should expect in life. Um, it, at least it seems to me. I, I don't know how you would think about that, Carmen. Yeah, I think that um, when we have this conversation and we think about how as Christians we're going to engage the conversation in the culture today, some of the things that, um, that came to my mind in terms of what does Scripture say about these topics— um, I thought about the reality that we all stand on equal footing at creation as image bearers. We all stand on equal footing at the cross as sinners in need of salvation. And for those who receive um, the good gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ, we all stand on equal footing in the kingdom of heaven. Um, And we stand there as co-heirs, as brothers and sisters, as priests, as ambassadors, as sons and daughters of God. Um, I thought about the teaching of Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14 on the different gifts and the different parts of the body and um, how they're they're distributed according to God's grace. And I don't get to pick my gift. I don't get to pick my gifting. Um, I thought about the, the language related to the household of God, all of us members of the family of God, adopted equally through Christ, right? But we uh, we're we're still different members of the family with different functionalities and different callings, as you've described. Um, We have one God. He is the father of us all, and we are all under his authority. So there's a, there's an equity to that for sure. Um, But then I think about things like uh, Jesus demonstrating in the foot washing and then at the cross that, um, that, the equality that we imagine or the or the getting ahead that we imagine is really just so we can serve more 
magnificently. Like, it's not about being first or finishing first. It's about being last and the servant of all. Um, I thought of Jesus, uh, you know, answering Peter's concern about John, right? Like, well, what about him? Well, what about him? And Jesus is like, okay, you don't need to worry about him. You have a unique calling. He has a unique calling. Um, and I want you to live into it. So I just, I, there's a lot here. There's a lot of soil to till in the conversation about equality and equity. And, um, you know, I think that the, uh, the the teaching of Paul that God is no respecter of persons, that God shows no partiality in Romans 2 is important for us, as is the teaching of Jesus, the strange teaching of Jesus in Matthew 20 about the, um, uh, about the laborers. Some, you know, show up first of the day, some show up at the end of the day, and everybody gets paid the same. Because of what? Well, because of, of the grace of God in that, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in that conversation. But that's not— yeah. You can't apply that to the economics of of the world in no. which we live. Agreed, and I'll just I'll just end with this comment: Success in the Bible is defined as faithfulness. It is mm. defined as faithfulness. It is not defined as economic prosperity. Amen. I'm storing up treasures in heaven. <clears throat> that's my uh, yeah, that's too. my exit strategy and my plan. All right, hey Bill English, as always, um, thank you so very much. I um, I have loved this conversation. Thank you for your willingness to have it. You're welcome. Have a good day. You can, you guys can find Bill at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. All right, we have an unprecedented number of Americans, American households, uh, where people are living by themselves. So Pew Research analyzed the newly released 2020 census data um, and looked at the number of households where uh, there's just an individual, just a single person. And that has um, increased dramatically over time. And so maybe that doesn't uh, surprise us to learn that um, that there's been dramatic growth in in households where, you know, we're talking about one single person, because maybe that's you. We're going to talk with Mark Mayfield next. He is the author of The Path Out of Loneliness. What does it look like to be alone and not be lonely? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. Some time ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to drive through my hometown and visit the graveside of my mom and dad. It had been 10 years since our last visit. Their burial spot is the only one in the cemetery with a live oak tree. My dad planted it three and a half decades ago. Today, the trunk is as thick as a man's torso. But it wasn't the size of the tree that impressed me. It's what my dad had carved, a heart. He etched the design and scraped out the bark. As the tree has grown, so has the carving. He knew we would need a reminder of his love. You have a place in my heart. Friend, your father did the same, not with a live oak tree, but with a cross, not with a carving, but with the crimson blood of Christ. You have a place in the heart of God. This is Max Licato. Dr. Mark Mayfield is joining us. He understands the loneliness crisis. Um, 
He has an insight into the conversation about loneliness, not only as a board-certified counselor, but as um, a person who, you know, struggled with loneliness in his own life. He offers up uh, the book, The Path Out of Loneliness, Finding and Fostering Connection to God, Ourselves, and One Another. Dr. Mark Mayfield, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me, Carmen. Absolutely. So let's talk, um, let's just lead off this way. Um, What's the problem? I I really think the problem is, uh, especially in the last 20 months, we have not allowed ourselves to be seen uh, or noticed by people. And uh, I think that has been totally exacerbated by the fact that we've been isolated. Um, I think isolation and loneliness go hand in hand, even though they're different, uh, different kind of spectrums of, of the same issue. Yeah, I think that, you know, I can be alone and not be lonely um, Mm -hmm. if I still feel connected, right? If there's a, there's something going on there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think just simplistically, my definition of loneliness is this idea of not being seen or noticed relationally, mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually. And it's driven by a lack of purpose or meaning, identity, uh, uh, and relationship. And it's a lot of times marked by a deep sense of hopelessness, right? We can struggle with bouts of loneliness, but this pervasive loneliness really sinks in when that lie of hopelessness comes in. That's a um, that's a really good observation. The observation about being seen, being noticed, being known. Um, I have, I have certainly found a resonance um, just in speaking. I mean, I could be talking about identity, belonging, and purpose. And I think, you know, I'm hitting on all cylinders. And then mm-hmm. I will talk about um, God, the God who sees. And when you tell people, you know, God sees you, God really sees you. He sees mm-hmm. you in the darkness. He sees you in, you know, in the places where nobody else sees, like the God who sees. I feel people really resonating with that because they feel profoundly unseen, even in this world where, you know, everything is out there on social media all the time. Oh, I know. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, when people begin to hear that, like you were saying, the God of the universe who, you know, spent just the intricate time of knitting us together, as we see in the Psalms, right? You know, how beautiful that is. But I also don't think we understand, or we, we, we forget, we get, to, you know, distracted by this world, but just how much God has desired and has pursued us ever since loneliness entered into this conversation, right? I, I often look at Genesis and 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 we read it through the lens of sin entering into the world, which it did, but you know, look at it through the lens of of loneliness and isolation entering into the world. And you know, mm. we see God's resp- response right away. And God's response right away is this is not okay. I'm going to pursue you. Um, and I, I found in that in the research that there's not a word for relationship that entered into the picture. There's the word for redemption that entered into the picture after loneliness did. And and we see redemption through God's action of redeeming us by His Son's death on the cross. And and that by proxy is restoring relationship. I love that. We're talking with Dr. Mark Mayfield. The book is "The Path Out of Loneliness." Um, so I think that the problem is easy for us to, like, we get that when you when you talk mm-hmm. about the problem. Um, in part two of the book, you talk about, you know, God's design. So mm-hmm. I, I, I want you to take us there because I think that it helps us see what we've been missing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, God designed us for connection and for relationship. You know, the, the way that it was designed in the Garden of Eden was that uh, man and woman and God would be walking together in the garden. There's that that the intimacy of uh, physical connection, you know, not so much the way we, I think, define it as a culture, um, but it's this idea of proximity. And it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. As we do more research, we see that the, that science is catching up with the Bible finally, which I find just, I, I love. Um, and, you know, we need to recognize that our brain, our cardiovascular system, our heart, our, our breathing uh, our nervous system all come into alignment the way God designed them to be once we are in a safe, trusting, and um, reciprocal relationship with somebody else. And when we talk about relationship, we talk about proximity. Like things don't happen uh, in my brain when I'm talking to somebody over Zoom or FaceTime as they would as if I'm sitting in my office on my leather couch, sipping a cup of coffee and having a conversation. Like God requires us, designed us to be in proximity with each other. Uh, and it's just a beautiful uh, representation of, of the Trinity. It's a beautiful representation of uh, fellowship and what, you know, one day the, the pureness of heaven is going to be like. Mm, I love that. Um, we're talking with Dr. Mark Mayfield. We're talking about his brand new book, The Path Out of Loneliness, Finding and Fostering Connection to God, Ourselves, and one another. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. Right, we're talking with Dr. Mark Mayfield. Um, Mark, before we proceed further into our conversation, is there a place online that people can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can connect on uh, Instagram and Facebook at the Dr. Mayfield or my website at drmayfield.com. All right, I'm writing that down. Um, and do I spell out doctor or is it just dr? Uh, dr. Yep, drmayfield.com. All right, drmayfield.com, drmayfield.com. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, because the, the book is intensely practical. You're helping us develop habits. And so talk about the model for action that's inspired by the great commit, the great commandment. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I love this conversation because I, we, we read, I think we read that the greatest commandment in a list form, especially in our Western culture, and it's meant to be mm -hmm. read in kind of this relational cyclical form. And, you know, there, if you, if you think of it as a, as a, uh, a circle, God, a relationship with God, relationship with self, relationship with others is reciprocal in nature. There's arrows going both ways. And the way I read that is that when it says the second is like it, love others as you love yourself, the, the Greek word homoios means to set alongside or equal to. And so we read, I read this now as I need to have a healthy sense of love for myself and others and God in relationship so that uh, I can be healthy. And if I don't love myself well enough, how can I truly love others and love God well enough? And I think, you know, the same goes for loving God and the same goes for loving others. And there needs to be this rhythmic balance almost uh, in that. And when we do that, we begin to dig into our own stories. We begin to value, you know, the ups and downs of our lives. We begin to value where we're at in relation to God, in relation to others. 
Um, but that takes intentionality, that takes vulnerability, that takes uh, practicality, uh, that takes somebody else to do it with us. Hmm. Um, okay, so see, you know, like a <clears throat> like a rabbit who went down a hole. I clicked on drmayfield.com and then I found the podcast and then I found equine therapy and I thought, well, that's really what I want to do. Okay, sorry, I'm back on task. I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally back on task now. We're talking with Dr. Mark Mayfield. We're we're talking um about his his book, The Path Out of Loneliness. Um, one of the things in here that I really appreciated was the conversation about personal responsibility because I have, um, you know, I just recognize our proclivity to blame it on somebody else and make it somebody mm-hmm. else's job to, you know, draw us out or solve our loneliness problem. Talk about personal responsibility as a really important step in this process. Well, absolutely. You know, like you said, I, I'm I'm in the same boat of going, well, who can I look around to say that that's their fault so I don't take ownership? And I think um, there's this bigger picture that um, we have to recognize where we're at without judgment and then go, okay, what is my responsibility to take the first step? And a lot of times I think we're waiting for people to rescue us. And, and, and maybe in somebody's story, that's going to happen. Uh, I'm not saying that that's not out of the picture, but in order for us to really make change, in order for us to really engage in this journey, we have to make up our mind that this is what we want to do and then begin to take those steps. And when we do that, we begin to uh, realign our relationship with ourselves and with God. And uh, the farther we walk out of this loneliness, the the better equipped we are then to turn around and walk with other people as well. Mm. We have a number of folks um, texting in this morning talking about, you know, the, the reality that they live by themselves. Um, Lori says, I live by myself, and if I didn't have my connection with Jesus, it'd be very difficult to be alone. But I'm never alone. He's my greatest company that I could. He's the greatest company I could ever ask for. Jennifer, uh, texting in as well, um, talking about some of the things that that she does um, in ter- uh, writing letters. Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty long. Um, it's pretty long. If the lonely bug try- starts to creep in, she says, I just turn my focus to one of the service activities that, you know, get me out of myself and engaging with others. I think that there are things we can, like, actually do. Um, and oh, yeah. I found, yeah, and I found the things um, that you, you know, you help us acknowledge in the book are, are important as well. I um, I want to spend the last few minutes that we have together talking about um, the messy embrace, because mm-hmm. this, there's, this is not, e- it's not easy. It's also not tidy. Can you talk about mm-hmm. um, the messy embrace? Yeah, I, I think, I don't know why our Western culture, but we want things to be neat and not tidy. We want things to be kind of along a continuum. And when we're dealing with people's lives uh, that have been marred by this world, right, we don't, a lot of times we meet people and they look put together on the outside, but once we start getting into their story, they've been hurt, they've been damaged, they've been abused, they've been um, abandoned. And as we want to help them be pointed back to Christ, right? That's the ultimate goal. Uh, a lot of times it can be uh, not linear. It's it's uh, all over the place. And we are, you know, as we are farther down on the path of, of walking out of this loneliness and, and towards Christ, uh, we have to recognize that people's journeys are going to be different than ours and that they're going to be messy. And, I, I you know, I look at the... Uh, the example of Christ in, in the, the New Testament, and he got into the trenches with people. 
right? I mean, you know, think, I mean, the, the, think about how he dealt with Mary Magdalene. Think about how he dealt with the, the woman at the well. Think about how he dealt with Zacchaeus. You know, he, he called them out and then walked with them in their messiness for a while. And I think that's, that example is something that we need to do as well. But when we embrace somebody, think about uh, that exchange. When we embrace somebody, part of us transfers on to them. And, and that's mm -hmm. the goal. We want, we want the, the Christ within us that has walked with us. And we're not figured out yet, right? I'm not talking about, I mean, our messiness still comes too. But you think about that embrace and it's that passing on of the love of Christ. And you know, so we have to be in the trenches with people. And it's, it's, mm. it's not easy, and, uh, but it's good. And I think we can have those two in the same sentence. It's not easy, but it's good. So, um, Mark, I know that, you know, you have these conversations with lots of people and you do so, um, you know, over the course of time. Uh, for those of you listening, you might recognize Dr. Mayfield's uh, name. You may have read Help, My Teen is Self-Injuring, a Crisis Manual for Parents, we're talking today about his second book, The Path Out of Loneliness, Finding and Fostering Connection to God, Ourselves, and One Another. Um, you've also had occasion, Mark, to engage nationally with other mental health professionals about what's going on in the United States. Can you give us a sense of where we are in terms of mental health in America? Yeah, I mean, I wish it was a, a glowing report that things are getting better. I think it's it's not, uh, unfortunately. And I think a part of it is uh, this idea that we we still think, for some reason, that if we're struggling with mental health, that we're broken, that we're damaged. And that's not the case at all. And my encouragement for people is that when we recognize where we are and what we're struggling with, to stand up and to ask for help, whether that's uh, at, at a church or at a counseling center or to a friend, um, but one of the things that we've noticed recently is that even though we have more mental health access and even though we've reduced the stigma around mental health, uh, it's still taking people uh, two to three years to reach out for help after they have been struggling with a diagnosis or with a, a mental health issue. And I just want to say people, you know, uh, we, we need to take care of ourselves. And so standing up and saying, I'm not doing okay, if that's okay, and asking for help is, is really important. But there's still a significant rise, especially with our Gen Z and Gen Alpha uh, kids, um, just a rise in anxiety and a rise in depression. And I think as a society as a whole, we have a responsibility to stand up and say, it's not okay, and let's create some pathways to healing. You know, as you and I are talking, and I, and I think about the, um, just the desire that everyone has to be seen and to know that God sees us not in a, oh, I see you, I caught you doing the wrong thing, but I see you, I see who you are, I see your, you know, I see you in in terms of of everything. I see you in your social location. I see you in the challenges you're facing. I see your beauty. I see your future, like all of that. I do, I do think that Christians have a unique opportunity. We can simply point to the way Jesus saw people and help people then see that Jesus sees them. Like Jesus saw you under the tree. Jesus saw you uh -huh. up in the tree. If you're Zacchaeus, Jesus saw, uh -huh. you know, he saw you even though there was a crowd pressing in around him. And, you know, he, he saw your need as the person who, you know, the world couldn't help. And you've been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Like Jesus sees Nicodemus. Jesus sees the woman at the well. Jesus sees, I mean, Jesus sees people that other people look past and beyond. And um, so there is a real opportunity for us as Christians to 
say, hey, Jesus sees me, but Jesus also sees you. And look at all these ways that Jesus saw others um, as a testimony to that. What a delight to talk with you um, and to get to know you. I hope you'll come back. Um, I think that the I think that the challenges that we face as parents and grandparents and neighbors and church people um, and as individuals, you know, right, there's just so many, um, so many things that we could till with you over time. Uh, Really appreciate your being with us, Mark. Yeah, Cameron, thank you. And I'd love to to come back whenever you want. Yeah, so kind. That's Dr. Mark Mayfield. You can find him at Dr. Mayfield. That's just Dr. DrMayfield.com. And from there, you can connect with his podcast and this book. The book is The Path Out of Loneliness, Finding and Fostering Connections to God, Ourselves, and One Another. We'll be right back. All right. In the, uh, in the spirit of taking nothing for granted today, I do not take you for granted. So thank you so much for this time we've had together. I want to encourage you to get into the Word of God before you get out there into the world that He so loves. And let's, um, let's represent Him well today. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.